You're listening to Drek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole where our hosts from the network and just friends from around get to talk all things geeky and so grab a drink from Ruby, grab a chair. I'm your host, Matthew Rushing, and joining us today are Daniel Peru from our show, Earl Gray. How's it going today, Daniel? Hey, Matthew, it's going great. I'm excited to, to take a little bit of a break from Star Trek and talk some more some more geeky topics. So Yeah, I'm glad you're here. Uh, that's definitely our goal, is, is to get away a little bit from the Trek and talk some geek, uh, because there's a lot more geek than just Trek. That's for sure, yeah. And back with us, we've got Norm. Norm, how's it going? Very, very good. Uh, excited to be back uh, to talk about more things, fun stuff, geekery. And um, I just asked Ruby, and she shot me down again. I guess I didn't get the name of her kids right. So yeah, I keep trying. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. What were, what was your guess, by the way? Uh, I said Chris and Sarah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm just I'm just throwing out random names because hey, one shot in the dark's better, yeah. just as good as another. I asked about Tiberius, and she was like, Tiberius, that's the worst. Should have tried Malcolm Jr. Yeah, he, she didn't like that one either. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, in fact, I brought the name Malcolm. She was rather pissed, so I, I'm never going to bring that name up again. Jamie, it's good to have you back. I love having you here at the 602. How's it going? It's going great. I, I brought a little friend with me as well. Greetings, 602 Podcast. Joker here. Oh, well, hello, Joker. How are you doing? Oh, just fine and dandy, you know. I like to uh, beat on bats. Well, excellent, because uh, we'll be talking about Gotham later. Now, Joker hasn't showed up yet, but uh, it's nice to know you're still around. I'm always looking around. By the way, (laughs) Holly, where's my drink? (laughs) Oh, goodness. Well, guys, uh, before we got into our topic today, we're going to be talking about Gotham and The Flash, two brand new DC TV shows that have just started this season. But I wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, DC decided to, with Warner Brothers, release their movie lineup for the cinematic universe that they've created, starting with Man of Steel, through 2020. Uh, Now, this list did include the three Harry Potter films. Now, I say that. I don't mean we're getting new Harry Potter films, but they are linked with the Harry Potter universe, the Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them trilogy, as well as three different Lego movies. We're going to get a Batman Lego movie, Lego Movie 2, and I don't even know how this is said. I think it's Ningagjo? I think it's called Ninjago, I think. Ninjago, okay. There you go. I I just, I I don't play with those kind of Legos. In fact, I really don't play with Legos much anymore, even though I still love them. But with that, we got the cinematic universe. So we all knew Batman versus Superman was coming out. But then they've told us we're going to be getting Suicide Squad, Wonder Woman, Justice League, The Flash, Aquaman, Shazam, Justice League 2, Green Lantern, and Cyborg. Plus, the list didn't even include the new Superman as well as Batman standalone films that will come sometime in there. They haven't announced those. So, guys, when you heard this, what would you think? Woo! That's all. Yeah. That's really all I got. <laughs> yeah, I, I fanboy squeal I, I i i get it okay what about you norm uh for me seeing is believing uh it's great to to have a timeline out there and it's great to uh to see 
that DC is uh, taking the initiative. But um, as all things, uh, we just need to see how serious this is, uh, if it's just filling paper or if there is a plan involved. And when we see the unfolding of Dawn of Justice, um, which is a great double entendre title, by the way, uh, that's leading up to this this future thread. We'll see. And and I wish DC all the best because I love their characters. I was a DC fan when I was a kid. Green Lantern's my favorite hero, and I and Superman up until Captain America: The Winter Soldier, the Superman 1978 Christopher Reeve film was my all time highest watermark superhero movie. It could never be touched. Uh, so good luck with DC. I'm excited. And uh, we'll see what happens. Well, and on that, really cool, with uh, the idea of the Suicide Squad, we already do know that David Ayer is going to be directing. He just directed Fury. I went and saw it this weekend. It was fantastic with Brad Pitt. Um, They have been talking about uh, getting uh, likes of of Tom Hardy, Ryan Gosling, Will Smith, and Margaret uh, Robbie, uh, who is in Wolf of Wall Street. And so having those kind of names, I mean, they're definitely pushing forward with this plan here at least uh, with uh, the, the films coming out in 2016. So um, it, they definitely are taking this serious. And we already know, obviously, too, that uh, Zack Snyder will be directing Justice League uh, 1 and 2, and so uh, and that all of these people are working together with that. Uh, what about you, Daniel? What did you think? Um, you know, I, like everybody else here, uh, initial burst of excitement, I think, because... You know, we, we all love these characters, and they're coming on the big screen finally. Um, I'm a little nervous. Uh, I know you and I, we've talked once or twice before. I'm not as uh, thrilled with, with Man of Steel as a lot of people, well, as some people are. And I don't know, it's difficult for me to see that being a... Because that's kind of the foundation now of this universe. And as much as I, I'm not like a Zack Snyder hater, um, he is no Joss... Uh, you know, and so it's interesting. It's going to be interesting, I think, to see once we get these characters in different people's hands, how they're going to go with it. And I, I look forward to it, um, and I'm excited about it. But I'm I'm a little cautious. So I, I guess that's what I would say is cautious optimism. Yeah, and I'm I'm uh, with you. You know, I I definitely need to see things to see how good they are. You know, I, as much as I from the beginning, I wanted to love Man of Steel, and I ended up loving it, but. You know, I I was also trepidatious about it. You know, it, it's a superhero film, so that means that uh, you know things uh, could suck. That's just the way it goes. I am excited that Chris Terrio from uh, Argo fame is gonna has come in and has helped write Dawn of Justice. He's also uh, looks to be a part of Justice League One and Two, which is fantastic because he's a great writer. Uh, and and Ben Affleck obviously trusts him a lot um, because he had him on Argo. So I love that. You know, uh, for me, I I, I was very excited. I, I think it's great to see that DC is also trusting some characters here that people like to make fun of a lot, like Aquaman. Um, Aquaman has been fantastic under Jeff John's uh, run and on the new 52. In fact, it's been one of the strongest comics I've heard. Um, just, I've actually just, bought all of them so I could catch up because I'd really like to see how good it is. And something like Cyborg, you know, just they're definitely going to take some chances here. Um, and I think it's awesome, as Norm said, just taking the lead. You know, everybody has talked about we need more female superhero films. We need somebody to make one. I have no idea why Marvel has not made a um, Black Widow film yet because 
that would kick some serious ass. I mean, she is fantastic as a character. I, especially her and and uh, Cap working together in Cap Two, was just downright fantastic. So it was great to see that DC has enough faith uh, to have Wonder Woman have her own film. And I don't know why it hasn't happened before. So that's something for me, seeing that finally come into being, that it's on the schedule uh, for a couple years down the road, I'm really excited about. Um, Been a huge Wonder Woman fan for a long time. Been reading her in the New 52, which her run has been just fantastic, but with Brian Azzarello, just an amazing run. Um, that's about to come to an end now. I think it's just, it's just great. So still a little trepidatious though, cause I'm Ezra Miller is a great actor. I just don't see the look for flash, but I'll, I'll judge the film when it comes out. So, you know, it's, it's, it, I, you guys are right to me. You still have to show me. And that brings up an interesting point though, because when they announced the casting and, and we know that the television cinematic universe and the, theatrical cinematic universe uh, they're separated you know for all intents and purposes and what i'm most concerned with here is that you're going to you're going to build this great fan following behind um gustav uh that's his name right the actor for the the flash grant uh Gust- and then you're going to get this you're going to have this huge fan swell that supports this actor and supports what he's done with the show. And then you're going to ask the audience to make the leap and support a completely new actor who's taking on the mantle, who will be introducing the flash for the cinematic universe. I find that very interesting in terms of a marketing strategy, because now you're going to have the flash television series on Blu-ray or DVD, perhaps right next to, the Flash cinematic movie on DVD. How do those two tie in together, and where does the where does the fandom make their stand, either supporting both of them at the same time or rallying behind one or the other? Yeah, that's uh, that's always something that could happen. And uh, I think one of the things I heard was, wouldn't it be cool if you got in one of these films? Um, you know, the DC Universe is a multiversity, and in fact, Grant Morrison right now has the comic series going where he's using all the different 52 universes. Uh, and wouldn't it be great just is, is a, like the, the very end credit scene was a monitor looking at all the different monitors from all the different universes, and you saw all these different things playing out. So you have your TV universe, you have your Christopher Reeves, you've got your Nolan Batman, all of these things playing out in different universes. So it's like, yeah, they all play side by side together in different universes. So it, it, there's no need to to worry about that. But I do think the idea of having the same character, y- you're you're running that risk. But you know, um, with Smallville, they were they never would let Batman be on Smallville just because of Nolan's Batman. That was stupid to me. I mean, it's not like anybody's gonna you know make it. Oh no, Batman! I I can't watch Batman on Smallville, and then watch Batman on. I mean, they couldn't even have Bruce Wayne. You know, I can't. Th- that's to me that's silly. So I think DC's taking a completely different stance now. Well, and and even in, in 
in that exact exact example right there, we had Superman Returns come out in the middle of Smallville, right. and it's not like anybody was confused. Like this is the the reasoning that a lot of these people used for a long time that we that that the the consumer will be confused by two different interpretations of the character at the same time. I think I think viewers are smarter than that. I think I think they can figure out. Okay, this is the guy on TV every week, and this is the guy that's in a movie every three years. I don't think I can't imagine. That that's going to breed anything but the desire to to consume more of, of that character. But don't you think that the fans would just there would be just a greater continuous support of fandom to bring that to the theaters? Um, again, like the I, I guess the only time I can think of an example again is Superman, and I and I remember there was a campaign to get Tom Welling as the lead role, and obviously didn't get it, and I don't think it was a huge. There wasn't a big backlash, uh, backlash for that, I don't think, as, as far as I can remember. And it was just two separate things, and it was no, it was no big deal. There was two Lex Luthers at the same time. There, you know, two of lots of these characters. It wasn't. It's it's okay. I think people can figure it out. No, I'm sure. I, I just think that like Star Trek or like um, Coulson coming in from the cinematic universe to the TV universe, it makes a nicer and more smoother transition to round out the universe as a whole as opposed to have two separate entities. But you're right. I agree that, you know, the, the consumers are smart enough to know the difference. It's just nice to have everything kind of be within the same circle, so to speak. And that's something that we are definitely going to talk about here at 602, about, you know, the way that Marvel does things is to have everything be in the same exact universe and have it all coincide, you know. And, and the problem that you also can run into, though, is that, your TV shows can suffer because they're waiting for the big events to happen actually in the movies, you know, and your movies have to make sure that, you know, if people haven't been watching the TV show as well, that they're still caught up. And, and so in the same way that Star Trek movies used to have to do that, you know, we talk a lot about here on Trek FM, the stupidity of having Worf in the uh you know last few next generation movies and how they barely even pay attention to him being there because they don't want to have to be beholden to what's happening on TV at the point that point so it's a hard road to to walk um but I think DC I think they're making the right choice in allowing their TV shows to be awesome and hopefully allowing their movies to be awesome because they they get to play with all the toys you know um, we're about to talk about Gotham and, and Flash, and they've been given all the toys to play with and uh, really been given free reign, and I think that's what's making them so successful in a lot of ways and what kind of hurt um, and is still hurting uh, Marvel and its Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. right now. So uh, I think with that, we'll, we'll jump into Gotham here, and uh, Gotham is the brand-new show on Fox, it's taking place before Batman. Uh, I, I was trying to think, you know, this isn't year zero because we've had that in the comics right now. This isn't year one, obviously. I, so, like, we call this year negative one, you think? Sure, why not? Or, uh... <laughs> I couldn't figure out what to call it. So, yeah, year negative one or year, like, negative two. Uh, so, I, you know, I, I'm not sure what we'll go with. In fact, maybe maybe it's like... Gordon, this year is one. year, yeah, near negative five, you know, and every year that we progress as Bruce gets older and more towards, you know, the age where he could become Batman, you know, till we get to year zero and then he could be the guy in the suit. I've got it. Gotham, 
the years before Batman. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's pretty much what it is. So it could be like Muppet Babies, just like Batman Babies. You know? <laughs> Batman <Yeah>. Babies. <laughs> I like it. Let's. Yeah, that could, be, that could be the name of the show right there, Batman Babies. Um, so what I love is the idea. Of, you know, every time in in superhero movies, you know, especially with the origin stories. We always see, especially with Batman, the the tragic beginnings, you know, his parents are killed, and then we don't really usually see a lot, you know? There's this big, huge gap, and then something happens, Bruce gets some training somehow in some different way, and it's always different, and, but uh, he comes back, and then he's Batman, but this is the whole show about this city and this character after that like what happens after the waynes are killed to this city and what happens to bruce and what happens to um gordon and so for you guys kind of looking at some of the different characters that you knew were going to be on the show what do you think we've got uh, gordon and bruce uh you know we've also got harvey bullock is is gordon's partner here then we've got Penguin, Fish Mooney, Falcone, Alfred, and then of course you've got other side characters like Selena Kyle and Barbara and many, many others. Uh, what do you guys think about kind of finding a way to put all of these characters together in a city that, well, obviously doesn't have Batman yet, and and as well, these characters aren't quite the supervillains we know and all of that. Uh, what do you think, Daniel? Well, to me, and you know, we're we're very very early on right now. But to me, this is this is the Penguin show. That's that's he's the the character that really has the hit the hooks on me, and I'm really interested to see where he goes. I wish, I wish Gordon would learn how to smile. It really bothers me that he's like just miserable all the time. But when when the show was first coming on, I was like, oh, do we? I don't get this. Like Batman, these are usually his contemporaries, these villains, and now they're like. 10 15 20 years older than he is and i don't know it's it seems kind of silly but i was when i was watching the episode the most recent episode today and i don't know this is the direction that they're going in but it feels like it is um we get a lot in batman like especially in the nolan universe that this idea of escalation that bruce wayne comes on the scene and then now we're gonna get these crazy crazy people doing crazy things but i i like this it's kind of pointing out that maybe Batman isn't the catalyst for that. Maybe it's the death of the Waynes. And, like, we're starting to establish these characters much earlier, and maybe Batman comes in as a reaction to them instead. And I think that might be an interesting aspect of the show. What do you think, Norm? Well, I think that they're doing a really good job at translating what I think is is one of the seminal or pinnacle um, Batman stories of all time. That's Batman. That's Mazzucchelli's Batman Year One. There has to be this this weight. The city itself is a character, and there has to be this living, breathing um, energy, very seedy, very dark. I don't think that that's unfamiliar to Batman fans or, or people that are coming into the show as new fans of this universe. So as long as the traditional trappings and set design and feel and look are synonymous with what people understand of Batman. I think that the show is is going to at least capture people's attentions and and let them want to or encourage them to see more. 
Uh, Gordon, I mean, these are familiar names. Gordon, Bullock, who I thought was more Flash-like, but uh, Selena Kyle, you know, um, Oswald Cobblepot, um, Falcone, or Falcone as they pronounce it in the show. Uh, these are all, you know, these are primary characters and secondary characters that allow Batman to become the layered character that he is. And I think that it's, it's kind of a, it's a brave choice for DC to bring them to the forefront so much because... They're not. I mean, when Batman comes on the scene, it's all about Batman. It's like when Superman comes on the scene, it's all about Superman. It, they're they're huge, larger than life, godlike figures. But it's nice to see where all of the framework comes from, and I think they're doing a good job with that, especially with the essence of what Gotham is. Jimmy, what have you thought about the character so far? So far, I've had a little bit of a problem, at least with Bullock being. Jim Gordon's partner, just watching the animated series growing up and have, you know, Harvey be the older mentor to Jim versus Jim being Commissioner Gordon in his, like, late 40s where Bullock is, like, in his early 30s. But otherwise, you know what, I really am enjoying the characters. I'm enjoying the whole real-life build-up to what eventually will become the the uh, existential crisis of Gotham that will spawn Batman. What I thought was for me so interesting about the show so far, you know, I, I before the show started, I, I really thought that this was kind of going to be CSI Gotham. Like I really felt like that was might be what they were going to do. And what I've really come to enjoy about the show is that it's not really that at all. Um, it, it really is more of this kind of mob show. It, it's almost like the Godfather Gotham, where we're watching these kingpins all go at it and this city kind of rip itself apart. And I think, Norm, you and, and Daniel were talking about this, this idea of that really it's the Waynes uh, were holding it back the, the tide of evil in this city. You know, the Wayne Foundation with them at the helm was was really doing all it could to keep a city that was just had the, the most corrupt people on the planet, except for maybe Detroit, and uh, were, were able to hold them off. And, you know, with their murder, it's it's falling into chaos. Uh, and I love that this is is more of a really a kind of a mob drama. You know, it, it's it's more Sopranos than it is you know a CSI type of show, and I think that that's 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 really cool to to, to see happen in this show because as you said, Norm, when Batman comes on the scene, the show's all about Batman. It's not about the villains. It's not really all of that much about Gotham. You know, we're we just always kind of come into it with this preconceived notion because we kind of have an idea of what it's like. But I love that this show is actually going to build it for us. This is the city that descends into chaos that's going to need Batman. You know, why does this city even need a Batman? It's great to actually see that kind of play out here on TV for the first time, you know, um, and, and even, you know, obviously we, we've never really seen that except for maybe in Nolan's Batman exactly why and how uh, this can happen. So I, I think it's so cool. Does Gotham need Batman or does it deserve Batman? That's my question. I think it deserves Batman. 
Yeah, it deserves me. It's fine. I'm going to go get some Starbucks. I'll be right back. Oh, no. The gritty voices come out. What are you talking about? Well, I mean, it had to. We're talking about Gotham. So did you guys have any kind of preconceived notions about the show before it started, what you thought it might be, Norm? Well, I, I thought, you know, if DC does a really good job um, at at streamlining certain looks and feels and packaging that well, uh, I'm, I was a little trepidation. Uh, there was a little trepidation that being on Fox because Fox canceled, you know, one of mine, probably one of many's fans' uh, favorite series in Firefly. So hopefully, if uh, this does well, it won't get canceled, um, as per the uh, tradition. But I, I, no, I think that uh, when I saw Gotham and when I saw the marketing junket for it and when I saw the the previews for it, uh, they were definitely focusing on uh, making sure that people knew that this was a story about um, Jim Gordon. Uh, and not about Batman per se. Uh, I think that using Bruce Wayne as um, kind of like the the one to grow on moments, or you know, this is what you need to learn. Layers the future of Batman's training um, in a very interesting way because it's not all about him going to parts unknown or the Middle East or, or learning the martial arts or learning the sleuthing. It's about how he's dealing with the aftermath of his parents, and that's something that you touched on earlier and never has really been done is what happened 48 hours after the, the Waynes were killed. What happened 72 afters, uh, hours after the Waynes were killed? How does a boy like that deal with it when the wound is so fresh and open? How does And Alfred is a really interesting take because he's very heavy-handed in terms of almost tough love with Bruce as opposed to being the older... Pennyworth mentor that we're more accustomed to seeing, a little bit more even-tempered, a little bit more um, of his m- conscience. Uh, it, it, you know, Alfred here in Gotham is very, a very strong disciplinarian as opposed to um, a partner in a way. So I think that DC made some really bold choices with it. But again, uh, with with the audience, it's either going to resonate really well or. Uh, there may be some resistance. Well, I do know, and uh, good news for anyone listening that they haven't heard, Gotham and Flash have both get, been given full seasons, so they'll at least be on for a season. And my guess is is that uh, it'll stay on. That both of these shows will at least be on for two seasons, if not more. Um, I, I I think that these kind of shows people will get invested if they know they're going to stay around. You know, I, I think a lot of uh, TV is learning these days. There was even an article just about how no shows have been canceled yet, and that is because studios are waiting longer and longer now because they're taking into account the DVR numbers that they get uh, back, and so they're realizing that. And I think too, they're just realizing shows need a few episodes if not maybe half a season a whole season to really find their legs so let's talk about this though guys because norm you hit on a a really big subject that has had a lot of people in upward because everybody i think coming into the show thought this is all going to be about gordon and we'd barely see bruce at all the writers said they felt like that i think for them that was going to happen they saw the kid that they had playing bruce and they loved him this became a little bit more about Bruce. What do you guys think of Alfred and Bruce? Jamie, what's your take on them? Um, Alfred, I think, is more in the tone of... Um, in the Arkham Asylum games, you read his 
bio and it says that he was a stage actor, but apparently he was some sort of military person. So he feels in Gotham, he feels more like a badass to me. Like a instead of being, you know, the Alfred, yes, Master Bruce kind of character, you've got more of the mentor who will eventually mold him along with Gordon to be Batman or, and and teach him what is right and wrong with Gotham and people in general. So he can become the great detective that we all know he's going to be. And Bruce, I thought, you know what? The the first episode, you know, kind of took me by surprise Well, not exactly by surprise, but the way they uh, showed Bruce is exactly, I think, the way that any one of us would deal with a tragedy. You want to know why. You want revenge. And then as you're getting further and further away from that event, you're starting to see what pushes Bruce to become Batman. Along with his 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 mentors Alfred and Jim Gordon. What about you, Daniel? I, I'm kind of torn on this whole thing. Uh, I actually I agree that the, the kid that plays little baby Batman looks just like little baby Batman, and uh, and he does a good job. And uh, uh, something that I'm learning from it that I never really gave any thought to before is yeah, I guess this is kind of a crazy relationship because Alfred has to raise. Not only raise a kid, but but raise a kid that went through an incredible trauma at a t- tiny young age, and in and I like seeing how he handles it because like in this in this most recent episode he he just he doesn't he lets him do his craziness he lets him go and 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 you know be a conspiracy theorist and have all these tacks on the walls and crazy like but on the other hand I'm like this kid's twelve years old like he's not this smart. He's got, like, Wesley Crusher syndrome right now, and I kind of hate that about it. And, uh, like, there was a line in that episode where he was like, oh, great detective work. And I'm like, come on, we can't be doing this. And that's actually a criticism, I think, for the show overall so far is its heavy-handedness in in how it's handling the mythos of Batman and the legend of Batman. It's just, it's like, I think it needs to... It can chill out. It can it can let Gotham grow into its own thing and then incorporate those elements. And like I said, like in this most recent episode, how they did with with Venom, I thought that was fantastic because they only you know they name dropped it once, and then we just kind of leave it. And then okay, maybe we'll come back to it another time. Yeah, I agree with you. Honestly, I do think the show has been somewhat heavy handed, uh, and I think that uh, this latest episode, Venom, was was the first episode where. They were, it felt more organic, everything that was happening. It, it wasn't so in your face. And I really liked, you know, uh, uh, year one Batman uh, has an Alfred that is much more kind of grizzled and was an expatriate, you know, he was a military man and, and much more of a kind of a kick-ass guy than, you know, the, just the butler that we see in a lot of, of, of places. And I think this uh, this makes a lot of sense. This is a guy who's a complete bachelor, has no idea how to raise a kid, and like you said, Daniel, has forced on him basically raising a child who went through a horrible experience with an immense fortune as well. 
you know, and all he is is the butler and the caretaker. I mean, it, it's, um, you know, he's got a, a huge uh, weight on his shoulders at the moment. What I love, and I think I loved about this latest episode, no series has ever shown us how Batman becomes the greatest detective. Like, Batman is known as being the best detective we've ever seen on the planet. That's what makes him so smart. I love that this show is taking it to the place where this is how Bruce becomes so smart. He just applies himself, and he just keeps studying. And he just keeps figuring it out. And so uh, I don't see it so much as Wesley Crusher syndrome. I, I see it more of that this is a kid who is just so focused He and he's going to keep applying himself and he's not going to stop. Um, as it very heavy-handedly was done in the earlier episode, he's going to keep testing his limits. Well, this is testing the limits of his mind. And I think that's much more interesting because I've seen how Bruce becomes, you know, a, a ninja, basically. I've never seen how Bruce becomes the greatest detective. And I love that this is the best way to do that, is is just have this kid grow his mind as well as everything else. So that by the time he gets old enough that he could put on the suit, he has the mind to go with it. And for me, that's what's so exciting about this show is that that's what I'm getting to see um, along with how does Jim Gordon deal with this city um, because in the comics Jim Gordon for the most part is a pretty good guy how do you stay a pretty good guy in a city that doesn't let you stay a pretty good guy and I think obviously that's one of the most interesting things to see so far we are five episodes in with Gotham. Uh, what are some of your thoughts on the show? Daniel, I loved what you talked about, just the, kind of the heavy-handedness. Anything else that you're really either kind of loving or are still on the fence about with the show? Uh, yeah, like I said, it's all Penguin for me. That's I, I just, I don't know. I've never seen this actor before, but I think he's he does a bang-up job. And, and Penguin's one of those infinitely rewritable characters. Like, we always get a different interpretation of what exactly he is and what he's about. And uh, I don't know. There's just he's got a charisma. I think that's great. Um, I'm really I always like the Jim Gordon character, so I'm excited to kind. Of, and you're right. Like one of the most interesting aspects of the show is how does this man? How can you remain incorruptible in a in a city full of corruption? And um, it's you know obviously we we got the the where he uh, avoided killing Penguin, and but we're getting, you know, now it's getting harder for him already in episode five to keep that under wraps. And, and so it'll be really interesting to see how that goes. I, I, I like that aspect of it. I kind of would be okay if they dropped Bruce, at least as much as they have him. If, they, if he was in every other episode or every third episode, then that's fine. I just, I feel like this, that wasn't the premise of the show, um, obviously and it, it should be more of a gym uh, a gym show and um i'm looking forward to uh, the future of the show i think it's it's starting off really strong you know even despite the problems i have with it so i think it could really turn into to something special for sure what about you norm well it seems like um when with the article that you that you sent us today to read and i saw a clip of of, of the venom uh, aspect of the show um i, I think that once the show finds its rhythm, and all shows eventually do, that's when you'll see um, how the, the, the strength of the show, the legs of the show, uh, there are always 
parts of the equation that need to be rebalanced. Um, and I think that once that happens, once the writers kind of figure that out and they start focusing on obviously a lot of the, the feedback, the marketing feedback and the data. But I think that I think the show needed to be a little heavy handed just to get the point across that this is a kind of more seriously toned show than any of its competitors out there. And it needed to bring that Batman heaviness to it without Batman. It needed to have this city cloaked in shadow, foggy streets, wet pavement, you know, uh, alleyways, that kind of look. And yeah, I, I do like the, the aspect of the, of, you know, the power bores a vacuum kind of issue with the mobsters in there. And what happens when you took the Waynes out of the equation now, all of, you know, all of that uh, is up for grabs. All of that, uh, all of their secrets, all of their, um, their, their interconnection to every single part of how they influence Gotham is available for the taking. And whoever seizes that power uh, will be able to, to reign over Gotham. I think that's where I see the show going. Uh, and I agree with Daniel. I think that probably dialing back Bruce a little bit more uh, will do better for the show. A, because... I haven't really found really any show or any movie that writes children exceptionally well for mature audiences. They're always good as kind of like a gimmick or a way to, as a red herring or a distraction of some kind. But by and large, Bruce Wayne is really hallowed ground here when it comes to Batman fans. And it is nice to see that there is a story that took place between, you know, age eight to age 30. I mean, that has to be explored. I mean, it's, but it doesn't have to be always returning to what did we learn today, Bruce? Or what did you get in trouble today with that will turn you eventually into Batman because we know his motivation. Um, and I think the less you use him, the more impact his appearances will have. Uh, and, but the only thing that I really have an issue with so far is um, Jada Pinkett Smith's character because she's just not resonating for me at all as a believable character. Maybe it's her, maybe it's the way that she's been written, but it's just not working for me right now. Maybe it'll get better. I don't know. What do you think, Jamie? I like where the show is going. I mean, these guys really hit it on the head. I'm with Norm in that if we take uh, Taylor back on Bruce and make it like every four or five episodes that we see him, that would bring more impact to his appearances and and I, I specifically would like us to, to you know, fixate on Jim and his partner, Mr. Bullock. And, you know, it's, it's kind of funny that we've, we've seen the pre-Poison Ivy, quote-unquote, a penguin, Catwoman... I mean, as much as I love to see those characters before um, they be- become who they become, it- it's kind of, for me, it's like kind of meaningless without Batman there, or at least for the villains that we're seeing. Now, on the other hand, I'm really liking the whole Godfather-ish um, villains that we're getting, because... I'm a huge Godfather fan, among my other things that I like, and it's 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 interesting to see how well that they're controlling Gotham and the events in Gotham. 
Well, I'm I'm with you there. You know, uh, I, I'm a huge Godfather fan. Uh, I am a uh, Sicilian, and uh, you know, so uh, maybe we can uh, maybe we can make him a deal. You know, we can offer uh, can refuse. Uh, definitely love that aspect of the show. Uh, Norm, with you, uh, the Fish Mooney character has been very heavy-handed and um, didn't really work for me until this latest episode in Venom. I, I think finally we got to see what her her game is, like what she's been trying to do. Uh, I felt like a lot of her scenes have been kind of useless until we finally got the reveal in, in this latest episode of, of exactly what she's been trying to do and, and where all her scenes have been going. So that really helped for me. You know, I I really do. I, I want to see this show continue to focus on Gordon. I think his descent into the, you know, different rings of, of hell that is, is Gotham is, is really interesting. I could do without Barbara at all. I think she's an, a completely annoying character. Every time she's on screen, I, I just I dislike her. They've made her a very dislikable character and, and taken away, I think, from... I just, I, her questioning of Gordon and all that, I just, it's really just been annoying to me. So I'll be interested to see what they kind of do with the, the whole Catwoman, quote unquote, you know, Selena Kyle. They use her every once in a while these days on the show. And I'm not sure exactly where they're going to go with that. But they have set it up to where she's the one who witnessed the, the murder of the Waynes. And uh, she apparently knows who the actual murderer is she's seen him so uh, there's obviously some kind of payoff going to come in this in the future um so i'm excited i think this is a show that started off strong the idea of heavy-handedness though is true but that's coming from somebody who's a comic fan you know not everybody is so they may turn on the show and what we think of as heavy-handed, you know, other people might, oh, that guy made a riddle joke. Okay, so he's the riddler. But they're not like all of us who are geeks who do podcasts, you know, and, and, and have read a lot of comics or seen a lot of the movies. So I have to remember that they are doing a very wide audience. And because of that, some of the things might not be for my benefit. You know, they're for people who who don't know the comics as well. So just have to keep that stuff in mind uh, when I'm watching the show. And I think, to me, episode five was the best one so far. Uh, Venom was fantastic episode of Gotham. I, I think it'll just, if they continue on that track, it's just going to keep getting better. So I'm very excited to see where it's going to go. Can I ask a quick question of everybody? Yeah. I'm just curious what everybody thinks. Um, because I, I feel like if they last long enough, they're going to do it. But is it, are we, do, does fandom agree it's just better to, for them to leave the Joker alone? He just shouldn't exist without Batman? Or how did, like, because in my mind, it's really difficult for me to, like, I don't want to see a Joker backstory because, I, nah, without Batman, you know, we that's, that's the thread we always get. It's Joker and Batman, and they're two sides of the same coin. Well, it, I mean, it's it's really difficult at this at this era of Gotham to be able to do the Red Hood story without with any kind of logical progression to, you know, um, the, the Joker's origin. I mean, there's Batman caused it, right? Yeah, no Batman. There's no reason for it. And even if you hinted towards it, because I remember in the very first episode there was a comedian on stage, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, where are they going with this? But that was kind of like too much of a, a bait and switch where you threw him in there. You're like, oh, 
And all of a sudden it became more of Oswald seeing you're like, Oh, so, you know, it's, um, it, it's, it's too tricky to put in even remotely anything. Like if someone threw down a calling card with a joke around it, people will be like, huh? Because Batman is so intertwined. It's, it's basically it's the same thing. It's kind of like how, um, in, in Smallville, the whole relationship between Clark and, and Lex was, it was hard to balance for, you know, at some time because the, these are the Titans of their respective titles, you know, and Batman and Joker, especially, I mean, everyone knows, I mean, you know, the dark Knight returns. I mean, that was kind of like the pinnacle of the Joker, you know, and without, you know, with, w- without Batman, there really wouldn't be a Joker origin. I think. You know, what do you think, Jamie? You know what? I'm going to sum this up with the Joker himself. Without Batman, crime has no punchline. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> you know, um, I I'm with you. I don't I don't want to see a Joker backstory. I think the character works without him having a backstory. I think I don't want to see him demystified. It's not something I need to see. Uh, you know, I kind of think you know the series ends with the Joker card being played. You know, like literally the card being thrown down or being found at the crime scene um, and Gordon standing there with, you know, uh, Batman in the shadows. You know, that's the end. With his uh, newborn but baby daughter, maybe, or something? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, something. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't want to see that. Uh, um, you know, hinting at the fact that there may be somebody out there, like you, you said, Daniel, you got the comedian on stage, kind of throwing out maybe somewhere hints throughout the series, you know, of of this kind of character being there. That's fine because that's kind of fun. Uh, figuring out who might be the Joker. Is he ever shown up in the series? Do that. I don't need a backstory, though, because I don't want the Joker. I I think Nolan's Batman did the Joker so well where he just comes on the scene and he's chaos personified. You don't really need to know his backstory. I don't want some tragic backstory about how the Joker's dad beat him and I want to know how he got these scars yeah i want to know because you're gonna just lie to me every time it's a different story you know because there's it's the mystery so yeah i'm i don't want to see that so well let's we're gonna jump over to the flash which the flash is is uh and was going to be a backdoor pilot on the arrow in fact it was going to be a big huge two episode thing they were going to kind of sneak this in on the wb last year they ended up seeing the character. Uh, they 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 liked Grant Gustin so much. They thought, you know what, we're not really going to do this backdoor pilot. We're going to do a real pilot with the Flash. So Grant will be on Arrow for a couple episodes, and it'll be basically, you know, year zero. Um, we're going to see kind of how the Flash comes into being. The accident. But we're not actually going to to do the pilot. We're going to do this for real. Um, and uh, Greg Berlanti and his guys got together and created the Flash series. And I think you know, oh gosh, oh, I I just want to like f- like geek freak right now because I love the Flash. Um, I have loved Arrow from the moment it started. It, it 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 had some issues. You know, the first season wasn't wasn't the best season but for some reason it just grabbed me but this show from the moment it started it has just encapsulated i think what i think of as superhero 
like greatness. And uh, so this flash, it, it's very much that kind of flashpoint idea. We've got Barry Allen. Jeff Johns is a huge Barry Allen fan. In fact, he brought him back to life in the comics uh, with Rebirth on purpose because that was his favorite and he was running he's running dc now uh so he can do what he wants um this flash is also the uh you know we've got his dad convicted of murdering his wife when no one uh, believes barry's story about this lightning man killing him so that's kind of the basis for this show uh and then we've got the characters of barry allen iris west detective west at star labs we've got caitlin snow uh cisco ramon and no thong song jokes guys okay uh and then harrison wells uh who is a character we're not quite sure who he is yet because he could be a lot of different people so guys just first off what do you guys think of flash uh daniel what about you I'm loving it. Uh, I, I I kind of yeah. I was a big fan of Arrow before, and now that we're getting, the, I like Flash for the same reason that I kind of like um, Spider Man. They they they're characters that just they generally find pleasure. They enjoy being superheroes. They love using their powers. Like it's they're fun characters. They're fun characters. It's not like Batman, where like it's a, it's a res- or even Superman, like where it's a responsibility and they're you know all of these just tragic. Even though there is you know they have elements that they need to deal with, but the Flash is just one of those characters that you just watch and you just enjoy it. And it and it's so great to see it uh, on the small screen. And and of course we only have a very limited, you know we've got the two the two episodes of Arrow and then and then of course now the two episodes as of recording this of the show and, but I think they hit the ground running, no pun intended, but maybe a little bit, um, you know, with the, the pilot was great. Um, and the second character was also fun. I, I, I'm glad they kind of, they did the, Oh, should I, or should I not be a hero kind of storyline early? I'm, I hope they got that out of the way. And now I just want to see, you know, flash, just, just being flash. I think it's, it's something to look forward to. What do you think, Norm? I absolutely love it. I loved Arrow, like, you know, you guys, since the very first episode. I mean, yes, it had uh, a couple of issues out of the gate, and it stumbled a little bit. But again, you know, I said before, you know, it takes a couple episodes for the characters to gel and the characters to find their footing. Uh, Again, no pun intended for The Flash. Um, But... (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We can pun it all you want. But what I love about The Flash is that um, it... It utilized, or Arrow utilized, introducing the Flash very well, uh, without introducing too many of the trappings of the Flash. You know, Barry Allen being late, being the CSI guy, you know, being just a very kind of goofy, aloof, um, but still very good at his job type of character. Versus what how heavy Oliver Queen was. I mean, let's let's face it. For all intents and purposes, we are we are getting Batman on TV yeah. in Arrow. You know? Yeah, that's very true. So you have this great lightness uh, to Barry's character. You have this great earnestness to what he wants to do. I mean, he and for me, um, being a being a kid of the '80s, I grew up with John Wesley Shipp's Flash, the series. As and you know, it took a lot of liberty borrowing from Tim Burton's Batman with the pumped up rubber suit. You know, and all of the different types of uh, set decorations, neon everywhere. But I still loved it because it, the Flash is one of those characters that's always on the fringe. But you always love him because he, you want to do exactly what he wants to do. You want to be able to move that fast all the time at the speed of thought. And I love that they brought John Wesley Shipp in as Barry's dad. I, I think that was fantastic. There was another really nice, actually a couple really nice um, 
not traditions, if you will, but that they brought back from the from the eighties show to this show. The, the fact that Barry has this nutritional issue when yeah. he burns his calories. I mean, one of the best scenes in the original eighties Flash was every time you know uh, Barry ran anywhere, he was able to like finish off twelve pizzas in the next scene without gaining an ounce. That was awesome, and I'm glad they brought that in there. It was a nice it was a nice crossover. And using the whole track sequence, um, trying to figure out the suit and the mechanics of his earpiece. I, I thought that was nice, too. It, but they are dropping. I mean, for, for savvy comic book fans that are watching the show, they are dropping Easter eggs a plenty all over that show. I mean, we know who Caitlin Snow is going to end up being. We know who Cisco is, by their names, at least, not, not necessarily who their characters are. Um, Caitlin was married to a physicist named Ronnie Raymond, who ends up being Firestorm. Um, so interesting and all this stuff happens with star labs. Now that also the cool thing that I love about flash is that it also kind of works a little bit with DC online because they're talking about the sporadic, um, spontaneous combustion of metahumans all over because of the particle wave accelerator accident. That kind of like what happens in, in DC online. If you play it, you become a metahuman and then you have to figure out the, and deal with these powers. I, I like the fact that Barry is using his, science and using his ability as a police, you know, criminal investigator to help find these characters and then has the whole Star Labs Scooby-Doo squad helping him out too. You know, so he has the great team behind him and the way that Arrow does. What do you think, Jamie? I was never an Arrow fan or a Flash fan until I watched Flash for the podcast and now I'm like hooked. I I and I just started watching Arrow today. I am so, like, pumped up for this. I never knew that I could love any superhero as much as I do Batman. And now I think I found it with Flash. One of the things that Arrow did so well is that it didn't just lollygag around as a show. Like, it, 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 it's, it goes at warp speed. There's every episode feels like a ton happens and the flash is doing that as well. I mean, it starts as as you guys said, it hits the ground running and it doesn't stop. You know, it's going a million miles a minute where we're getting everything that they can put into the show well and and doing it well. I think Um, they're dropping those Easter eggs for people that are paying attention. That's something that Arrow has done very well in its show. And they're taking what worked on Arrow and making it work here. I also really think that they're taking what worked well on Smallville 10 years ago and and refining that whole process. I mean, Flash is going to be much more uh, kind of the villain of the week and very much like the first few seasons, I think, of Smallville. At the same time, finding ways to kind of build that mythology because there's a lot of mythology that goes behind the, the Flash and time travel is a part of the Flash. It's going to be a much, for all intents purposes, a flashier show than Arrow, because it's going to have all of those sci-fi elements to it, kind of like Smallville did as well. So they're they're using all of that to their advantage here. And I you I I honestly think you can tell that Jeff Johns is a huge fan of the Flash because they they're putting so much of of the love of this character into the show. For me, one of the big things too is that I love that the Harrison Wells character is somebody that we're 
not quite sure who he is. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? For me, I've been a Tom Cavanaugh fan since his Ed days on NBC with Julie Bowen uh, of uh, now, of course, uh, Modern Family fame. Uh, I, I love that he's in this show. I think his portrayal of Harrison Wells is perfect because he comes off as the nicest guy and yet you know he's hiding something. So I, I like that. Other thing that Arrow did, you don't hide the secret forever. You know, I love here that we're not hiding the secret forever. You know, Detective Joe West already knows by episode two and is already behind Barry going out there stopping bad guys fantastic because uh you know it's one of those tropes that just gets obnoxious after a while and and i i think uh, it works better when you just allow those characters to find out uh in a in in a quicker time frame that's what i loved about man of steel was the fact that lois lane is not an idiot she knows who clark is she's a she's a freaking genius reporter i mean you you take down her character if she doesn't know who he is um you make her out to be an idiot just because he's put some glasses on so uh i i like that here with uh, them taking that with the flash so uh, one of the things too that we're getting here with the flash like i said it's even with just two episodes we're getting a lot of stuff already, and we already know some things that are coming. We we do know already that Firestorm's coming. They've already talked about that um, online. We've already seen pictures of uh, Professor Zoom, who is uh, the reverse Flash, which is the person who killed uh, his mother, uh, uh, Barry's mother. So, guys, just talk to me a little bit about that idea of kind of throwing everything in the kitchen sink, but doing it in a way that doesn't suck. Uh, how do you do that, Norm? It really depends on how the writers want to approach the audience. Now, like you said, with Gotham, some of the heavier-handed approaches are for people who aren't necessarily fans of comics or steeped in that type of trivia. I think Flash needs to handle that with a, with you know with some balance. Um, but you know, a lot of a lot of Flash fans are coming from Arrow they kind of expect a certain level of writing quality. And I think that as long as there aren't too many tongue-in-cheek kind of wink-wink, nod-nod Easter eggs getting dropped all over the place where it makes the story convoluted, they treat the serious fans or the fans that are fans of the comic books with some, you know, with their due. And But by and large, I think that it's the responsibility of the writers to grow um, the storyline so that it becomes unique and balances what has come before to what they want to present. Maybe that leads up to the cinematic universe. The speed force is a huge theme in the flash comic books. Um, and they kind of deal with that when you see the blur that killed Barry's mom, you know, as IE professor zoom, but that's part of this. It's like the whole, I chose you, you become this you perpetuate this, you create me so I can choose you. There's this whole cyclical uh, thematic quality to the Speed Force that is you know, very well represented in the comics. How much do they want to bring that into this new story? Or is that the anchor for keeping fans of the show um, locked in because it is so really 
um, very complex and very well written. At least it was in the comics. Well, and you're going to deal with time travel to show already. We we already know that from Harrison Wells. You know, uh, looking at the newspaper from 2024, and uh, you know, so we're going to deal. I mean, this show is is going to have a lot going for it you know in 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 terms of you're gonna have to pay attention to the plot lines uh it looks like coming up to kind of keep it straight in your head because as we all know uh time travel is very timey-wimey uh you know and uh i i think with with comics you can play uh fast and loose with those rules but uh, Flash itself is a, is a comic book has always done a great job of, of uh, trying to make sense as much as possible of those elements, especially with uh, especially we talk about the Speed Force and and uh, the Reverse Flash, you know the the huge event the Flashpoint series which had a big effect on the multiversity there uh, with the DC Comics. So yeah, we've got a lot going on for it. What do you guys think, uh, Daniel? What are your thoughts on just kind of uh, throwing it all at the, you know, and, and seeing what works? Well, I'm not as familiar. I'm not as a huge Flash fan. I mean, you know, peripherally. But but uh, so I'm I'm actually interested just to learn all of these things. And I think uh, you take, taking at it from that perspective, it'll be really interesting because, you know, I, I know I know a few um, a few a few Flash rogues. And I'm, I guess I'm interested to see them. I, uh, of course, I, I want to mention I do love the the uh, <clears throat> Gorilla Grodd shout out that they had in the pilot, which was fantastic. And I'm like, uh, and I saw that, and I was like, wait a minute, how are they going to do that? But I, and I really look forward to that because <laughs> it would be. I mean, I would love it if this if this show just went crazy and like if it, it couldn't sit still, if it was just like the Flash and like new stuff came all the time, and they 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 weren't they didn't feel limited by television, and they just they went into the craziest corners of the DC universe and just had as much fun as possible. That's the kind of show that I, I, I get the feeling that Flash is, and I hope that they I hope they don't shy away from that. I think then it would be really something truly special. What about you, Jamie, as, as being somebody who's just getting into Arrow and, and Flash as well? I gotta ditto what Daniel said. I mean, if, if Flash is going to be this f- frequently new something new every week show and it has the quality of writing that I know that Deep Space Nine and the storytelling that it had I am so on board with it. One of the things that uh, and I think we'll kind of wrap up with this uh, I thought it was interesting Jeff Johns did a great interview uh, and uh, he's obviously heavily involved with everything that's going on in the television universe. They're going to be creating uh, Supergirl for TV, which is Greg Berlanti, who's the Flash and Arrow creator, which I'm very excited about. He he already has my trust with, with uh, these two properties. Supergirl is one of my favorites as well, so uh, I can't wait to see that. But uh, Jeff was just talking about this idea that he really likes about The Flash, that uh, it, it has that family friendliness. You know, you can watch it with your kids. He he talked about that. And he also liked the idea that, that these superheroes like The Flash or, or Superman are optimistic characters, and, and they're bright heroes for everyone. And that said a lot for me because, you know, a lot has been made of, you know, Man of Steel being very dour and all of these kind of things. I think that 
that reflection is going to happen in that cinematic universe. I, I think it's going to happen. We're, we're going to get a little bit more brightness, but I think they wanted something serious and concrete and we're realistic to start for their cinematic universe before you go off and do Greek gods and Wonder Woman and, uh, you know, a fish man with, with Aquaman and stuff like that. You know, in the same way that the, the Marvel universe, they start with Iron Man. Very down-to-earth, very realistic. It, it's funny as all get-out because it's Robert Downey Jr., but it's very grounded. It's very real. You know, John Favreau was very insistent that, that the suit be real, you know, it, it's, it's possible so that it felt like you were there. But at the same time, it's fun. And uh, I, I think they're going to balance these things out throughout the whole, you know, TV landscape because we've got Arrow. It's, it's very dark and gritty. Deep Space Nine-ish, but you've got your, uh, I think, very kind of original series flavored with uh, The Flash. You know, it's fun. It's bright. It, it's it's something, you again, you watch with the kids. So what do you guys think about that when it comes to superheroes and I think even kind of the responsibility of that they, they do have a lot to live up to, uh, Norm? In terms of being family-friendly show? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, not just, you know, obviously I I don't think Constantine is going to end up being a family-friendly show. You know, uh, it's 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 all a cultish and everything. But the idea of, of, of having uh, the spectrum, you know, because Arrow, again, it's not really a family-friendly show either. And, you know, it's a teenager, I think, and, and beyond show, um, whereas The Flash, I think, is... So having that kind of spectrum and figuring that out, and also, too, you know, the idea... Flash, as uh, Daniel said, he's he's just a fun guy. He enjoys his powers, you know? He's a little... He's definitely more the cut-up than, say, like, you know, the, the square-jawed Superman or the very serious Bruce Wayne or any of those kind of things. You know, uh, being able to have your shows and, and your universe have its spectrum. Well, it's nice to see that... Uh, each one of these characters is establishing their voice because that's important for the audience to say, okay, Arrow is this type of character. Flash is this type of character. You know, Batman's this type of character. Superman's this type of character. I mean, they are, for all intents and purposes, most of the DC primary heroes have always been very, uh, very well represented with a certain amount of gravitas. Like, it is my job to save the X world city. Um, downtrodden but I've always felt that the Flash was he's just doing good he wants to do good and he doesn't really have this great catalyst that propelled him to do that my parents his parents weren't murdered his family wasn't or, or his his whole world wasnn't destroyed you know um, Oliver, even Oliver Queen had this you know he had a, a vengeance motive you know it's like you know if you have failed the city I'm gonna kill everyone who did it that's not the flash the flash is like wow i got struck by lightning and now i can do this and i got abs and, yeah and, and, and that, they gave me abs and now i can eat like 20 pizzas without getting an ounce that's not bad that's not a bad deal you know and he's having i mean yes he's he i think there is going to be that spider-man moment when great power you know and great responsibility meet he's going to at least i think so he's going to have that moment where like okay it's not all fun and games. Joe West is right. You know, now I have to take certain things with a certain amount of caution. But for the most part, I think that they really did a good job in, in just bringing the lightness to us. Because you can't have 
heavy arrow on TV, heavy Gotham on TV, heavy shield on TV, and where would the flash be in that um, you know in, the, in in all that context? I think that being light and being fun separates itself from the pack, and he has the best one of the best rogues galleries in comics, so that hey, this week he's fighting a magician named Abracadabra, or someone throwing boomerangs at him, or giant gorillas like beating on his head. That's going to be awesome if they, you know, if they do it right. Or you know, you got the Mirror Master, you got Captain Cole, all this stuff. You know, they have so many uh, villains and fun villains to work with. It's not all world domination, Lex Luthor, or I'm going to burn down an entire city, Joker. You know, it's like these guys are just criminals with now these metahuman powers that kind of give them a little bit more of an edge. So it'll be fun. I think it's fun, and I, and I hope it continues to be fun. Well, you know, one of the things that I love about this. And for me, again, it, it was the thing that I loved about Man of Steel. How many times ha- have we seen a, a superhero movie where they just get so quickly to the the thing that we already know? Like the 1978 Superman movie with, with Christopher Reeve is fantastic. And yet I never get to actually see how he becomes Superman. He goes off to space school for like 12 years and then he comes back and he's Superman. But there's there's nothing about that the maturation process of, of becoming that person, whereas uh, in Man of Steel it's his first day on the job, and um, I, I'm getting to see him grapple with figuring this all out in one day when at the same time the entire world is at stake, especially a guy who doesn't even know what all his powers are, and and that's what I'm loving about the Flash here. You know, this is a guy who's just been given all these powers. He doesn't even know how they work yet, but he wants to save people, you know, same way Clark did in, in Man of Steel. He wants to save people with these powers, and, you know, whether it's on an oil rig that's about to explode or busload of kids or, you know, I mean, that's what he does. That's who these people are. They just have to figure out how to use these powers and, and how to become the heroes that we all know them to be. And to me, that's the interesting story. How do they get there? Because it's fun once they do get there and they become kind of the the icon that I know. But watching them kind of stumble and make mistakes becoming that icon, you know, is 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 even more interesting. Um, and that's what always makes comics interesting to me. And it's what makes characters interesting because it makes them relatable as well. So, guys, I have had the best time geeking out with you guys talking Gotham and Flash. I, I love comics. I, I read them voraciously these days, and uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the fact that we've had this on TV. So thank you so much for being here with me. But that's not the only thing we've been talking about today here on Trek FM this past week. So here, take a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And then next week, it's like, hey, Worf, what's going on? And he's like, oh, not much. Just, you know, yeah. walking around the bridge like like I didn't have my spine grown, you know, last week. <laughs> Earl Grey. You know, he's on the Enterprise. He doesn't have to be written in the movie because, hey, he's on the Enterprise. Everyone's on the Enterprise. He gets you a know. chair. He gets a chair. I mean, I mean, the whole beginning is all about his promotion. Yeah, exactly. It's basically a Warp-centered uh, movie now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> the Orb. Even Odo wasn't able to keep his, you know, quote-unquote, hands clean. The, the fact that he has this kind of sordid past that we didn't really know about until now is really, really interesting. To the journey! 
I think the audience by large, or by and large, kind of saw Data as a machine and was probably a little more on the side of Maddox, as in Data is it, not he, and that sort of a thing, without even realizing it. And then Measure of a Man took us from that point to, you know what? This guy has the right to choose. Warp 5. The TV viewer who doesn't know anything about that, they're probably more like the actual people of the Enterprise era, where the idea that we would have these starships that can take us into the depths of the galaxy at Warp 5, this is all new for them as well. The Ready Room. Deep Space Nine is closer to the original series than any other Star Trek show in terms of ideals and... Yeah, conflict. There is conflict in the original series. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. What's interesting, though, is this isn't even a threat. I mean, no, no, and let no. that be your last yeah. battlefield. It was a threat that Kirk was making in, in, in this episode. Picard's just like, yeah, we don't know who's taking our ship, and nobody's allowed to have our ship, so you know, let's blow it up. Commentary, Trek stars. Although there is a certain darker aspect to the story than let's say one would find in Roddenberry's version of humanity there is also room for hope literary treks I I can see that Jean-Luc might have told her you know I was reading Janeway's logs and can you believe that Q got married and has a son continuing mission you're watching the man trap and then for no reason at all, they go into the botany... Well, I want to call it the botany bay, even though I know that's not right. The botanical... <laughs> a, I think it's just botany room. The botany room. <laughs> and there's this person's hand in a pink glove as a space yep. plant. And you're just like, what? <laughs> Melodic treks. The latest Thompson Holiday Company advert in the United Kingdom features William Shatner's rendition of the Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody. Axonar, the official podcast. And as soon as I got back to L.A., um, I sat down and in about three or four days wrote this demo suite of uh, four cues. You know, thankfully, it resonated with Alec and and Christian. And here here we are. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, do us a a favor and hit that subscribe button. That really helps us greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find our shows in iTunes when they search. And if you're not an Apple user, hey, we've got you covered there as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Squeaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course, you can stream it online or download it, the MP3 file from our website, and grab the RSS link as well. Another way you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, you'll find our current goals and the different milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support that you can give to us, and we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. And please leave a review in iTunes. Reviews help people find us in the iTunes store when they search for our podcasts. And when you leave a review, we'll give you a shout-out on the show. Of course, you can contact us at trek.fm slash contact. 
If you'd like to leave a voicemail, look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trekfm. You can go to Twitter at trekfm. And then, of course, we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. You can also join us in our listeners-only club. That's at the Babel Conference. Type the Babel Conference in the search field on Facebook or go to our website at Trek FM and click the discussion on the menu bar. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. Our sponsor for this show, of course, is Audible.com. Audible is a great way to read all of those books that you've always wanted to and never had time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice, along with that 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm to sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for their support of the 602 Club and the network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an eight-foot orbiter and return the craft to Earth. The NSS Enterprise orbiter will carry more than 100 student-designed science experiments into space, and you can make that happen. Just visit enterprise.org to find out more and to get your seat on the mission. Now, guys, I just want to thank you so much for joining me today and I want to give everyone the opportunity to tell people where they can find you online. Jamie, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on Twitter at jsanchez25. I'm also the one of the admins for the Star Trek New Voyages Phase 2 Facebook page and the Google Plus page. And you can, you know, contact Star Trek Phase 2 through the contact button on at Star Trek Phase the number 2.com. And Norm, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Norman Lau, uh, N-O-R-M-A-N-L-A-O. Um, I've also um, I've been a proud supporter of the show through Patreon, and uh, I have uh, supported three shows as associate producer, Warp 5, The Orb, and Star Trek Axanar, the official Star Trek Axanar podcast. And you could probably find me a lot on the Star Trek Axanar page on Facebook because... I hugely support Alec and the project, and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next there. So that's about it for me. I'm, I'm not the biggest social media guy in the world, but I'm slowly getting out there. <laughs> <laughs> and Daniel, where can we find you? Uh, well, people can find me every week here on the network, uh, on Earl Grey, where we talk all about the next generation with, uh, with my co-hosts, Darren and Philip. And you can get a hold of me personally at any time on Twitter as well. And my handle is one up Dan. That is the number one, not the word. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining me and uh, everyone else. And y'all come back now, you hear?
Thank you.